Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I could talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I am your host. Today is August 17th, 2018. Wow, seven years I've been doing this show. Uh, I've not done a show lately. My mom passed away suddenly in Germany, and I had to go there, and um, she was still alive and in a coma then, but she did pass away there, so I just wasn't up to doing a show. But... um, I started feeling the uh, the desire again to do it and thought of Steve, who we had on about a year ago. He just reminded me, so I'm going to bring him on in just one second. We're going to do a one-hour show, a live show about why we leave, how we've left, and uh, my joke is the 12 Steps to Freedom. I'm going to work on writing what those 12 Steps are to freedom, but um, I might do it live right here with Steve. Uh, I want to do a little plug for my film. The 13th Step, which is still streaming on Amazon. It's free. If you have Prime, you can buy it there, too, as well. The longer version, which is a little over an hour and five, seven minutes, is on Vimeo. I like that version a little bit better. It has a little more personal stuff in there about me and a few of the other uh, subjects who were in the film. I want to make another plug for a new book that's out called The Freedom Model. And this book uh, can be getting, can be uh, bought on Amazon or I think on The Freedom Model model website and uh this book uh you know it's a really 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 good book and i'm hoping that this book can replace uh the big book in american culture and society written by stephen slate mark sheeran and michelle dunbar good job there and uh i've ordered a bunch of copies and i'm going to be reading it finally Alrighty, so without much further ado we're going to bring on steve Hi Steve. Hi. Hi Steve. Welcome, welcome Hi, to the show. Thanks. Hey, thanks for thanks for uh, inviting me back. So sure. I can't believe it's been a year, right? A whole year. Yeah, just about. Just about. Just a little bias. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well. Do I, do I get, all right. Do I get so a chip for my one year or what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's. How many years have you been gone? Let's do this. <laughs> uh, it, let's see. Um, it'll it'll be well. It's like two and a half years. Um, January of 2016 was my last meeting. 
so are you, you're not a newcomer, but an old timer for leaving, right? I'm not an old timer yet. I only have seven I years know. gone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, right, so funny. Great. Yeah. Right. Um, well, it's really great talking to you again. And for our listeners, yeah. I'll do some uh, plugging for the Facebook groups. So we have deprogramming from AA or any other 12-step group, then a basic leaving AA group, and then I have a plethora of other groups like Make AA Safer, uh, Expose AA. They are – what the hell is going on? Whoa. Do you hear that? Are you there? A little bit. I'm here. Yeah, so that was pretty weird. It was like an echo of it replaying, but I, it's gone now. Okay. Uh, Good. Freaked me out. All right, let's start hear. with you. Okay. Tell us why you left. Okay. Why did I leave? So my story uh, is similar to yours. Um, I came to A when I was 20. I think you were 16 or so. Um, 18, yeah. Probably about 10, year, 10 years apart in age. Um, I just turned 51. Um, I, I came to A when I was 20. Um, don't really want to rehash that story, but I definitely – I was young and impressionable and scared and lonely, and I listened to everything they said in AA, including, you know, you can never leave, otherwise you're going you're gonna to drink and die and all that kind of stuff they, that they kept telling you when, when, you know, they tell everyone all the time those exact words. Um, so I was a faithful member for a long, long time, um, probably about the last decade or so that I was in AA. Um, I was less and less into the God thing and less and less into the spiritual thing. Um, stopped saying the Our Father probably in the late, in the mid-90s, late-90s, um, uh, all, all that kind of stuff. So I, 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 I was getting away from it in, in, the, in, the, in the God side of things. And, of course, some people would say, you know, there is no spiritual side of the program. It's all spiritual. It's all about God and all that kind of crap, you know. So Did something happen um, that, that happened for you? No, it was just um, – uh, well, <laughs> kind of. I mean, I, I went to college in my mid-20s, so I was sober about five or six years. I went to college, and um, I, I kind of learned to be like a bit of a critical thinker. Um, right. So I just and, – and, I, and, I, and I, I, I majored in economics, and I studied a lot of philosophy, and I really loved the philosophy and, and all that kind of critical thinking type of stuff, which, you know, mm-hmm. is not really an AA thing either, so – so I, I, just, I just really became, you know, kind of skeptical and cynical and, you know, kind of, a, you know, just questioning a lot of things. And, and that's so, you know, uh, I think that's probably kind of what led to that. Um, right. And, so you weren't uh, heading so, yeah. down the new age path. So you woke up a little sooner no, no, than me. No. And, well, no, maybe not, though. No. I mean, you were in 29 years. I did the math here. So yeah. Uh, yeah. 29 years. That's a really long time. Much, yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So what was the, the what was that thing? Yeah. So it's right. It's hard hard to, to say that. I, mine was really long yeah. too. But I finally yeah. feel like I've uh, kind of crossed over uh, the morning of the years, like for now. But um, yeah. it took years actually. So I'm seven years out. And there was uh, how about you? Uh, so being out like a couple years, um, do you still uh, like? Does it could really hit you? with regret of wasting a quarter of a decade? Or do you, can you say to yourself, oh, but I went to college and I did this and this and this, so I wasn't completely – like, what goes on in that process for yeah. you at this point? At, at, at this point, it's more that, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't regret it that much. I don't, I don't really – I don't dwell on it that much. I, I am super busy, and I'm super busy doing um, a lot of really great, I think, productive things uh, going forward in my life right now. 
and and really following my passions. And I, I've shared I've shared this a lot that um, you know within, within our group starting, you know, the best thing you can do is just find the things that you love to do and do those things, um, mm-hmm. and 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 not become a slave to a to a group or an organization or a cult or anything like that. Just just find what you don't even don't even spend time you know trying to figure out who you are and all your happiness um, and all that kind of stuff. It's like, you know, just, just find what you love to do. And I, I, there was an article I shared. I got to dig it up too. Um, um, it was, it was actually originally, I think sourced at, at Stanford. Um, and they did a, did a study about that, about people kind of chasing their dreams and finding their bliss. And, mm-hmm. and really what they found was most, most effective was not to even ask yourself that question, but really to, 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 uh, develop and establish the things that, that you find that you connect to. And so it was kind of a, kind of an academic article that I found at Stanford. And then um, it got rewritten. It got, you know, it got put into long form. Uh, someone found that same article and wrote it up, I think in the Atlantic or one of those magazines uh, not too long ago. Um, but it, it, it's just kind of like what I've been saying for years, you know, find what you love to do and do it and do that thing, um, whatever right. those things are and be open to those things. So, um, so yeah, and I, I haven't dwelled on it much at all. I'm just trying to keep myself busy doing what I love to do. And what are some of those things that you're doing that is really keeping you busy <laughs> that you love to do? Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm actually a little bit off topic, but I'm I'm, I'm very much uh, I'm a big environmentalist, and I'm a, and I'm also a very creative designer. So I'm, I'm I'm really into product design lately, and I've been designing um, some sustainable living products. And you know, I've been working out at, at maker shops and 3D printers and laser cutters and and CAD and stuff like that. And I've just been designing a lot of a lot of really, I think, really cool stuff. And I'm really putting a lot of effort into it. And I'm really banking a lot of a lot of you know a lot on it um, to to go forward with this. So I've, I've really I've really just been super engaged in that and really just loving it. Um, even even though it can be frustrating when when you prototype something and it doesn't work the way you want it to or whatever. You know, right, right. but I've I've, I've been yeah, but it's just it's just it's a labor of love and it's a passion, and and I feel very strongly about it. You know, so I'm I'm very much into that. I'm I'm, I'm a big food guy, um, and uh, I, I really I really love cooking. And I you know, and it's funny because I, I work in software now, but you know, but I love doing like the tactical stuff, the sort of tactile. Right, stuff right. It keeps you balanced. And cook. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So so it's, those are the things that I love to do, and and I'm and I'm also like really really I really love. Uh, like I said, I got an econ degree. I really love numbers and and everything. And I've really been playing um, investing a lot lately, and just playing around with investing and stuff. And I've really just been digging that. And just so those are the things that I'm just passionate about. I'm sitting around like you know reading Tony Robbins books. I I, I sit around you know <laughs> studying <laughs> studying design and studying algorithms and stuff like that. So and that's, well, that's good. what that's keeps so me engaged. Right, you sound really like yeah, and I see that sometimes with people who yeah. um, maybe are are leaving if people have too much time, or maybe even some people are retired when they leave AA. But what was the the, the thing that broke the the camel's back, or so to speak, for you that just said, okay, that's it, the nail in the coffin, I'm out of here. What happened for you? And then uh, I'll tell my little quick little story. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, my, my, so yeah, I was so I moved to California in 2012. I got connected again with, with a whole group of people. I lived in Denver for a long time. I had a good group of friends there. Most of them were steppers. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, I moved here, and in that and, and uh, the group of friends I made, they're, they're, they're nice, good people, but they were just like, you know, you, you knew her in AA, and they were all just gung-ho about, you know, going to a meeting every night of the week and 
calling the sponsor wow. five times a day and that kind of, you know, that kind of group of people. And I, I just wasn't connecting with them so much on right. that. And then, um, you know, I got pretty honest about not being a, a, a believer in, in God or anything like that, you know, basically right. being an atheist. And, you know, they sort of give me a lot of crap for that too. Some of these people did. And um, so I was like, all right, I kind of have to make a decision here. And, and I, you know, explored some of the secular AA stuff and, I tried to get a group going here and just didn't have the time or the, or the money or the effort to, to get it going. So I realized if I can't really have like a, a secular experience in AA, um, I shouldn't really, you know, you know, go. I shouldn't be involved anymore. There was, I was getting bored at meetings. And the other thing, too, is, is that I, I think that I just got sick of hearing the same stories over and over again. But also every time you heard the stories, the longer you knew people, the more and more they got embellished, you know. So... <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. someone would tell the story about you know getting the first story. The first time you hear the story, they talk about getting pulled over, and you know, and then by the tenth time you hear the story, you know, there were five cop cars there, all of them drawing guns and everything, and and, oh, and oh you know, all these stories. Is, I you, you know, know I mean? people. Like, these... <laughs> I guess AA's really kind of changed. Bigger liars are joining. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, but wow, and and, and when you, but when you look back, you start to shoot holes in so many stories you hear and. And, and, you know, it's like, you know, you, people talk about being in a situation. How did you get out of that situation? And they don't really have a story for it, or they give you a different story each time. So just, it just seemed like, you know, it, it was boring to me. And then I just realized, you know, either, either your guys' stories are all real and you're, and you're not making this stuff up. Right. And if that's the case, then I'm nowhere near badass enough to be in this group. Or you're mm-hmm. making up your stories and, and you're exaggerating. So, you know, right. in one way, it just, it just didn't fit for me. So... I was really kind of bored um, with with it more than anything, and I just I just couldn't stomach going anymore. I went to one meeting, um, just to meet up with a friend and said hello to him, and I just never made it back. <laughs> and that's that's pretty much it. That that's it. January 2016. Yeah. Wow. Well, so congratulations you? for you. You're two and a half years. <laughs> yeah, mine was. It's all more dramatic than that. But it's that's not important. But yeah. it's what uh, I guess the precipice for making a film. If it were just that I could have just like backed out, like I could have left when I had my children, and it would have been a quiet exodus, and no one would have known except people that I was right. close to from maybe Hollywood AA. But that's not what happened because I really pulled away when the when I had kids, which I'm so glad I, I did that, and just stayed AA style sober and abstinent, and went to meetings maybe once a month and didn't bring my children I think only a few times when they were babies but um what happened was that this young uh, Callie came to the women's meeting I was going to in Culver City and was talking about being 13 steps and she was sobbing and I was like Jesus Christ like this shit is still going on and so we became friendly and friends and then I she took me to these mixed meetings that none of us who were going to that meeting because in you know, this area, people, we, we only go like once a week. Like if you have 20 years, you don't mean to be going meetings like every every day. And there were people who did, but yeah. they were not looked up to, say. Okay, if somebody said, I That's go to fun. the arena center every morning, you were like, okay, she's fucking crazy. Like why? Nobody yeah. would say it out I, I loud. Could, but uh, inter- inter- interject ahead, one quick one there. I did, I did say to a guy yeah, who's sober around as long as me, I said, hey, man. You know, if you're, if you're sober over 20 years and you go to five meetings a week, you're, you're, you're running from something. And, yeah, and yeah. you know, and he was one of these super sponsors and all that, and it's like, you know, yeah, that's when I realized that's kind of what I was dealing with here. So anyway, 
Yeah, yeah, those those people are pretty weird, I thought. And so this group was didn't exist. They, of those kind of people, it was more like me, where we all went once a week. We only went to this meeting, so we were very insulated, and we we just talk about what happened that week. And you know, if somebody came in and was like a big book thumper, we were all like rolling our eyes and like, okay, like just kind of be real here. And that's what, probably why I connected with that meeting for the last like five years that I was in. And um, but Kelly mm-hmm. comes, and then she like says, no, you need to come to them some of these mixed meetings. So that's what did it. Like, so I go to the mixed meetings, and, you know, uh, I saw these guys that were like, these aren't even AA guys, and they weren't even like, like they would say, hi, uh, you know, I'm Joe, and I'm a triple threat. And I was like, what? Oh, like, what God. the fuck is that? <laughs> and, but they were predators. So these were, they really had a vibe of sexual predators. Yeah. And then uh, so we started to, I, I talked to some people about it, and I think I had to just kind of just become a GSR. Um, which was also the coming down of like bringing me out was getting that involved in uh, in service uh, again, which I hadn't sure. in years in that kind of general service service, and it was basically, excuse me, of going out into those groups and seeing the predatory stuff, and then uh, deciding that I was going to do uh, a workshop and calling Paul Cleary, uh, calling an ex friend of mine from Hawaii who was the general service manager of New York for uh, a good. I don't know, I think he was sad for eight or ten years. He told me to call Paul. He said, this is a very serious subject. You should take this on, Monica, rah, rah, rah. And uh, so I meet mm-hmm. Paul over the phone. He sends me the letter that he sent to the board. And I see the letter is worse than even what I'm experiencing. And also, there was a family member of mine who was having an issue. And um, I brought them to a meeting, and I this was like pre-this. And I was just terrified mm-hmm. that um, he was going to become involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. And so if I felt that way, why did I feel that way? And it was almost like a shell broke open, actually, um, with my family member. And I I couldn't uh, – something cracked, actually, before even Callie, I think, with him. And I just was like, uh-oh, uh, I'm not – there's something wrong here. Like, why do you right. – you, I, I just – it was like the rose-colored glasses got pulled off. My, my eyes I began to see AA different at that point. Then Callie arrives, and then all that other stuff transpires – and as I began to push through that, I um, got pushed back rather than support uh, in the meetings, and I didn't expect that. Now I'm glad that they didn't actually practice democracy in Alcoholics Anonymous. They didn't. They make it really hard mm-hmm. for you to get anything on an agenda, you know. Uh, and so, um, you know, I just pushed through, and then, you know, we discovered that there was a lot of rape going on. They, they didn't even want to talk about 13-stepping. Um, we, I put on mm-hmm. the first Make A Safer workshop, and that exposed rape, and then we're like, it's all about rape, and I was like, Jesus Christ, and nobody would come forward to go to the police, and I was just like, right. yeah, yeah. LA Times, and they're like, uh, you need to have the police involved, and I, you know, somebody, I said, what, people have to be murdered before you're going to talk to the story, and he's like, well, kind of, sort of, or at least the police need to be involved, and all the rape victims have to be willing and, to come forward, and they, it can't be just hearsay, so that means that they have to be involved with a case and in the courts, and I was like, okay, this is like fucked up. And, and then, then my a, husband, and then a murder happens, and a murder right. happens too. I know that, which yeah, which is that's right, and so that's what happened. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So Tristan and Sandra Cass get murdered. Crap. And I, that was the summer of 2010, and from that I knew I was going to leave. But I was going to leave, like, sort of fighting. And um, so I made my plan that I would finish out the GSR as I would fight to stir it up and, and try to make safe, try to make it safer, like, before I left. 
And you know, I did yeah. I did affect change. Like I don't care what anybody says. Like I'm sorry, but if everybody, if we had one person like me, and there are other people that are like me out there, if there was one in every city doing as strong as I was, they would totally fucking undo their shit. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah, so, I mean, I think it's interesting that they're yeah. so passionate about promoting their, you know, fucking cult. But, you know, um, but anyway, not everybody yeah. uh, wants to take it on. I got there when I was 18. Uh, I was there 36 years, you know, I like to say. And the only thing that helps me psychologically is I think of the years of the, about 10 when I had kids where I really, really pulled back hung around with normal mothers at mommy and me groups. I did not like AA mothers. Uh, I thought they were, mm-hmm. I just didn't like them. I need to go, I need to go into why. Yeah. But so I leave and uh, so this next part, then I want to talk about you, you take it over now about, cause we hear, we see so much of this in say the deprogramming from AA group in Facebook or leaving AA or, you know, mm-hmm. the many groups that are there. Okay. So you leave sure. Then what happens to you with your friends or you or, are you lonely? Are you? How do you go through that that first year that you leave? Uh, What's it like? Do they call you and uh, go like? Are there ten people calling you like Steve? Like where are you, man? We miss you. We love you. No, it's, it's funny. There wasn't there wasn't much of that. Um, I because I had not been to a meeting. I had not been to a meeting in California since. So my anniversary was actually August. My my AA anniversary would have been August ninth. Um, and uh, so. Um, so I remember going to one like around that time uh, would have been like 2015, and mm-hmm. maybe maybe one or two meetings literally between that time and, and the last meeting I went to, um, which is my last meeting was actually in Colorado, and then um, so I was I mean I was friendly with people and you know I was you know and we were doing stuff together but I was just not going uh, they weren't seeing weren't seeing my face at meetings at all so um, and also like around the same time my at the time, my girlfriend moved in with me. Uh, she moved from Colorado to California to be with, you know, to, and we lived together. Um, so I had a lot of time with her. I think she was probably a very, a very good influence that helped me get out of it as well, too. So, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I spent a lot of time with her. Um, right. And, 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 my, and my job at the time was really, you know, I was traveling a lot, too. So I, I was, it, was, it was keeping, that was keeping me busy. So a lot of stuff was keeping me busy. And every so often I'd have a chance to do stuff with, with people and everything. Um, and then, um, and then, uh, but it just became less and less time hanging out with people from AA and just, you know, more time just hanging out. Like at that time with my girlfriend, who's actually now my wife, who got married earlier this year. Um, oh, so, wow. Congratulations. Um, uh, thank you. Thank you. And, yeah, uh, yeah, congratulations. so, uh, <laughs> um, but what's, what's kind of interesting, cause you know, I was, well, I got divorced, um, in 2003 and really kind of clung back to AA after that and made a whole group of friends and everything. And I was never a 13 stepper. And, you know, I, I always tried to at least obey the rule of like not talking to a girl before her first year and stuff like that. And, you know, I, and, and everyone always, everyone always broke that rule. So I always kind of missed out, you know? Um, so it ended up being like, you know, like about that 10 years that I lived alone after my divorce, um, it was just kind of like, Groups of single older AA guys who just who had no game at all. And I was kind of part of that. <laughs> so, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but then usually what happens in like, you know, among single people is, you know, one of them gets into a relationship and you don't see that guy for six months until the relationship falls apart and he's back with the back in the diner with everybody on a Friday night after the meeting, you know, and, and that kind of so right. That's kind of how that whole, that's kind of how that whole dynamic was. 
you know, I was, I was, uh, I was, I was one of the safe ones in AA. Um, yeah, I was, yeah. I was also raising two, I was raising two kids at the time too, and everything. So it wasn't, you know, it really wasn't very easy to, 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 to be a player in that regard. Right, so, right. Um, so you know, it was, it was, uh, so, so again, my first year out was um, not really much of a, you know not really much of a drop off because I really hadn't been there all that much anyway. It was just more more work okay. and keeping myself busy that way. So and uh so I wish I had more That's... exciting stuff to talk about, but <laughs> but but a lot no, of it was more like it... personal interest in, in, introspection, just like it you know, started to kick myself over all the time I spent in there and everything, which I think I've worked through pretty well lately. Yeah, I think last year you yeah. had a lot more of that going on, if I remember. Mm-hmm. And I think that some of the yeah. the people in the groups, you have some that are alone. So the big the big thing for you, hopefully, is that you were so busy with things that you were interested in as you were exiting, even though you didn't know you were exiting probably, and then meeting your girlfriend right. who then became your wife. So that really, you know, has this, you know a really positive effect on how it is where I see if somebody who's over 50 and they're single, right, and they've been single, and then they put mm-hmm. all this invested this time. So, like, for me... I would say that um, I was I was euphoric in the beginning. It was exhilarating as I drove away from the meeting when I told them all that I was yeah. leaving and they were coming back to my home group. You, uh, you I, went out with a I, I went out with a whipper. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I tell people when they come in the group, I'm like, go, go tell them. Like, But everybody's different. So if people are quiet and not confrontational, just like leave. Just like close the door and like yeah. walk out and go, woohoo. But I couldn't do that because of the work I did in those last two years. So I went in and was very, you know, straightforward, and it felt good. And uh, so I was euphoric, and then it hit me like a death, like uh, that I had wasted. And I never cried that I missed. I never missed a Wednesday night. I missed some of the women, Mm -hmm. um, but not a lot. A handful of them, I really felt, were honest connections both ways. Maybe out of 40, uh, there could be 10, and then you could weasel it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it was four, there was some there I knew didn't like me. You know, uh, I didn't like them, and we were just polite. Uh, but um, yeah. so I, then I went through this morning where I would cry, like, wherever. Like, I remember sitting so many times with my son, Michael, and eating sushi or something or having lunch and, like, just... And I apologized like over and over again of the stupid shit I said to him. Um, yeah. He was probably around more than Anthony, so he got a lot more apologies. And I felt really bad, and I could see what it had done to my decisions and my life and how I had made it a priority and what did I miss. And it was really hard. And then it became really hard because, like, so then I went on for about a year. Just like with a real death of a person, like there's a cycle of about a year. The second year was I started to feel like a freak, and I didn't belong in AA, and I had gone, but I didn't, I wasn't, did not feel a part of the real world because I was still going to parties, and I still didn't drink, and um, mm-hmm. and at that point I was kind of starting to get interested in tasting alcohol again, and I'm really glad I did, yeah. and it was a very natural, organic process for me that I feel like it was when I began to drink alcohol again that I really felt a part of the real world and not before. And I know yeah. some people need to leave and not drink again, but I, I drank only for like four and a half years as a teenager and didn't drink for 37 years. And right. I read about 15 non-12-step addiction books, you know what I mean? And like was so <laughs> ready to like 
have a drink, which is what I did. Mm-hmm. And and so in that process, yeah. and I had pe- very, very pe- close people unfriend me, um, you know, tell me they were going to pray for me. And trust me, when they told me they were going to pray for me, I called them on that shit. I was like, fuck you. You're not praying. What the fuck mm-hmm. you? You're so passive aggressive. <laughs> You know what I mean? Telling me like that kind of stuff. It's just say, fine, you know, I don't want to be your friend. I don't like the way you're taking on AA. And that's the end of it. And then there were people like, I don't care, Monica. You know, I love you. And I never was really into the big book shit, so don't worry. Like, I, you know, like, right, right, right. I, there were a couple of people really close to me. I was so shocked that they like just yeah. like fucking, you know. Uh, uh, dropped yeah. a friendship, and one of them I had a big falling out with. We had like massive fighting back in in emails about, you know, you were you were a part of what happened to you when you were eighteen and nineteen, you know, being thirteen step. And I was like, what? What the fuck did you just say to me? Oh, and that like, whole, <laughs> the whole what's my part yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, you know, I think I had to blame call the, to my the therapist. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, no, 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 you're not. I'm not letting you off here. We're gonna have a nice fight here, and. uh but mm-hmm. you know now it's there's people that because um, people you know in 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 Hollywood or LA or my husband's work or I even knew them from AA who are in it still, who I really like them. Um, they are these are people who are nice and um, so we see them because of parties and um, social things that happen um, in the business and. Uh, but I feel sorry for them. Like I can see some of them like spinning. Other have over 20 years. And it's like, man, you'd really a drink would do you some good, man, or at least deprogramming would do you a lot of good. Because what happens with yeah. some of them is they they become so self-critical. That's what happens to them. They don't get better anymore. There's there some of them are in really good shape. Some of them are overweight and could you know they use food instead of you know drink. I guess they eat and eat and eat emotionally. But you know some of them are too critical of themselves and um, really hard on themselves. And that part is sad to watch with some of them that I really like. But um, yeah, so that's my story. And I went, we have so many other topics. So we're at two thirty now. Let's go on to um, <laughs> one of the topics was life coach that we I put down as a marker. So let's talk about the whole. Let's just jump right in. So somebody mentions life sure. coach. What happens to you, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, we kind of had this conversation online because when I see them. When I see the word life coach, I, just, I very much cringe when I just even think about that. And uh, it's uh, well, I, I, I had a thought about it recently too, I, and I think it came from uh, um, Rachel Bernstein because uh, you know with the work that she does helping people yeah. deprogram. Um, yeah, and she's, great. You know, she's like, I'm not in this. I'm not in this for the money uh, because the people I'm working with have been fleeced. They don't have any money, right? They that's the reason mm-hmm. that they're coming to see me. You know, and. Uh, you know, but and and and, and I, I think that's kind of what happens, kind of in very much in, in the life coach world too. So you kind of you you, you have a, a lot of that going on. Um, but when when I, when I when I see that word or hear that word, it is it kind of it, it it definitely it's definitely a, a trigger for me. And um, you know, the, the, the it, it it's just kind of an ex- extension of you know the whole sponsor thing and and you know i really had a, a really big issue in a people just relying on their sponsor for everything now I, I know there's definitely a need in fact i'm seeing a resume guy tomorrow you know cause you just need a, you know, another set of eyes even though i'm right. like a writer you, know, you need some, another right. set of eyes that's right you, just, you know and and you know whatever you whatever you work on you, you need another set of eyes to help you with that um mm-hmm. 
you know, but but I think um, a lot of these, you know, the, the the life coach types really just kind of attract the people who need someone to kind of tell them what to do, and 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 I and I think that you know the the problem that AA just really stripped from me was this whole idea of like self reliance and believing in myself and trusting in myself and trusting in my own thoughts. And if you go, you know, jump away from AA into something like that, then you're thinking, well, you know, suddenly I'm, you know, looking for someone else to, to take that responsibility for me from me because I've been programmed to not even think for myself. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's that's mm-hmm. probably you know, a, kind of a long way around it. Yeah. So as you so. talked, I was realized that there was a lot of thoughts I had about it. One would be that you have mixed feelings about them at point where. I was exiting completely. Um, there were, you know, you think of like the friends. I had people offer to help me when I was getting like back into the work, you know, force after being a stay-at-home mother. I had a friend who was a publicist who offered to help me do a resume because I didn't know how to do it. I had another mm-hmm. mom friend who helped me when I was going back to Santa Monica College, and I was in a writing class, like, help me. I didn't know how to write an opening, um, like, statement, you know, when you're doing an essay. Um because I missed all that stuff, and that there's people, mm-hmm. like, and I had experiences, so the Agape Church was one of them, where these people were getting these so-called degrees that were, like, a year long, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, right, I have right. a therapist who has a PhD, and I'm sure that she went to eight years of college, like, I think it is, like, you go to right. four, and then you have all these hours, and that people were charging, like, 150 mm-hmm. an hour, because they studied what? for like a year and a half. Now, I know somebody recently who told me this, and I, I really understand where she's coming from, And like, but it still made me cringe because of my own feelings about like what somebody will do. So it's a lot like people want to go to people for advice, and but isn't that what friends are for? And and yet that I know, like, say that I'm a person where you have a lot of projects and you want to, like, get focused and, okay, which one do I do and do I want to do that and right. I want to sing again, which I am singing again. I'm going to perform, like, next Friday night at a restaurant yep. in um, Beverly Hills, right? Like, I'm going to do something that I'm really passionate about. I'm going to uh, make another project that's not going to be about AA. Uh, it's going to be a fun movie. Uh, but, um, you know, so there's uh, mixed feelings because – like there's one woman who I met through my work um, who worked for Kraft, and she'll talk to uh, like parents, um, and she coaches. But she's affordable. I think she's like fifty dollars, you know, uh, mm-hmm. for an hour. Yeah. So her time is valuable, and she has like this training in the Kraft program for families that are spun out and they don't like Al-Anon. That to me sounds like fair, you know? Okay, all right, somebody wants some money, like fifty, but like a hundred, a hundred and fifty an hour, right? Um, that they just went to – and sometimes you can become a coach in, like, two weekends. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, right? You go to, I, I know somebody like did the whole, it. The, and it's, it's not it's – not, it's, it's pretty close to the certified alcohol counselor thing as well, too. I mean, how many people are like that, do you know, who've done that kind of stuff as well, too? And it's really more it's like really, a specific really more than anything. Right, yeah, right. And on that note, let's talk us the bounce from this, right? Uh, this, I think mm-hmm. this will lead us perfectly to the self-improvement. Right. right, the whole thing that we yeah, need that's... to be self-improving forever, and that we have—I mean, there's nothing wrong with self-improvement, but if you and I have been in there that many years, I think we've done like plenty, you know. So talk yeah. about that for me. Sure. Want to talk a little bit yeah, about yeah. the self-improvement, Tony yeah, Robbins or whoever, you know? <laughs> I think that's kind of where I wanted to go with the with the life coach thing, yeah. Because um, I, I remember toward the like 
toward the end of my time in AA, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't had a sponsor since the early 90s. So since like my fifth or sixth year, I hadn't really done the work, you know. And I, right. I thought about maybe I should like just revisit and do another four step and all that kind of stuff. And, and I tried and I, and I tried and I tried and I just, I, I just came up with nothing. It's like, yeah, I've done this stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fixed. And, 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 when, yeah. and when I, and, and when I, when I, so like back to kind of that first year out of AA, I specifically did not like pursue anything as far as any kind of modality, any kind of, meditation group, any kind of mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. like that. It was just, um, um, you know, because th- that stuff just kind of reeks of, the, of the, the general message in AA that, like you said, you're always damaged. You're always, you always have something to work on. There's always another seminar. There's always another, you know, <laughs> guru to follow. There's always another one of those things, right? And, right, and, right. And if, if, you live in, if you live in that modality, you'll never – you will never see what you're capable of doing and, 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 and really how much talent you have just that you're sitting on right now that you could develop and, and, and turn into something meaningful to you and, 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 and the world. So it, it just becomes a, I, I went to, I went to one of these things uh, a couple of years ago and I swear yeah. people were like talking to like, didn't I see you at the, you know, at this event in Maui one year? And, oh, yeah, I was there. And then, you know, talking about all these different, you know, vision boards and shit like that. And it's like, you know, I just don't have the, I don't have the bandwidth for that. I'm trying to figure out, like, how to do electrical engineering at this point. And I'm trying to figure out, like, how to, you know, how to operate a, you know, a, a, a you know, injection molder to build something that prototypes something really cool, you know. I don't really have well, time yeah, something more real. Although I think it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I really feel you. Like there was a thing, uh, there was a sign at Equinox, uh, and I was like walking through. I hadn't been there, you know, in weeks, and uh, it said this breathing, stretching, meditation hour on Friday night. And I thought, for the first time, I looked at it, and it didn't like freak me out. Like I went, oh, that yeah. would be like if I didn't want to go out. Like I'm trying to exercise more and eat healthier and lose some weight. And so I thought, oh, that might be like instead of, you know, the night being about going and eating. like, And then I, like, it was the first time, and it's like I'm out seven years, that most of Mm -hmm. that stuff really is a, like, turns me off. And I think, oh, they'll just be fucking steppers there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know. And you know what? Right. They probably will be because they're not drinking yeah. and they don't want to go to a meeting anymore either on a Friday night, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, That's yeah. Funny. Okay, let's talk about the Michael Pollan book. Let's jump right to that. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the other thing I brought up. I thought it'd be a good topic. So I've, I've been, I've, I'm about halfway through it right now. My, so Michael Pollan, yeah. he, we all know him if we've seen Food Inc. And um, right. he was kind of the main guy about that. He wrote the Omnivore's Dilemma and in defense of food. So he's, he's a terrific writer. He's a, he teaches at Berkeley as well, too. Um, and he's done some really good, like, extensive research into a lot of these types of things. And um, his latest book is about, um, is, is about doing psychedelics and, and, and using psychedelics as a way to um, kind of work through addiction and to work through um, um, you oh. know, a, a bunch of things, you know, like, you know, like that. Um, and the book's called How to Change Your Mind, and he he did some uh, um, 
you know, he he experimented himself and everything, and and he mm-hmm. and he did some stuff on him. And he's he's I think sixty, you know, early sixties or so. And I right. think like a lot of us had a couple of couple of experimental trips back in his twenties and, and everything and and everything. But um, it, he just brings out a lot about you know how um, the I've, I've been really really interested in this even since before I, I came out of AA. Um, I remember um, you know. Uh, about four or five years ago when the whole ayahuasca thing was becoming a big deal and people were talking about doing that. And it's, it, it's become almost a cliche here in Silicon Valley where I live. Just, everyone, everyone is doing some kind of ayahuasca journey. And, oh, really? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like a... Even, like even a people who don't package. have addictions, they just want to do it for... Yeah, yeah. But they said that it actually can cure depression. It's, so, I mean... Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's a, a, lot, of, a lot of it works around that. And, it, 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 and, and, and when you think back... Of, so yeah, about four or five years ago, when the ayahuasca thing was happening, I, I remember saying to a stepper friend, "Hey, you know, if I went and did like ayahuasca, would I have to reset? Do you think I'd have? What's your opinion? Would I have to reset my sobriety date if I went to do it as a way of like bringing myself to the next level of enlightenment or the next level of right. you know clearing out all this crap from my past?" And yeah, yeah, he didn't seem to think he didn't seem to think so. But I know it's just the same type of, you know, debate you have around like antidepressants and stuff like that. It's like, oh, you're using those substance to, you know, and all that kind of crap, you know. So, anyway. I've so he really was or wasn't? I'm sorry, I didn't get – was he open no, or was the, he closed-minded no, the, about it? No, the one guy I talked to thought it was, thought it was fine if I, if I did it. I, if I, did it. Um, I never, I never that's, did. That's improvement. Um, I, no, I, I, haven't, yeah. I haven't – yeah, I haven't, I haven't done it yet in my, in my time in or out of AA, um, but I – have done uh, psilocybin, which is mushrooms, um, mm-hmm. and and um, when I was in AA, I talked about my first experience with mushrooms when I ate literally like two handfuls of them, and I I, I described that in AA as the greatest night of my life, and, and it yeah. was it, just, you know, <laughs> it really, really it really it really it really did just open up a lot of a lot of stuff for me, and it really exposed me to a whole new way of thinking that I didn't, you know that I didn't mm-hmm. know. And then actually in the, in, in the past year I've done, um, you know, I've done a psilocybin trip, um, but it's not, it's not like to go out and get high and have fun. It was really more of a, a way of resetting myself and, and everything. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it was, it was actually pretty difficult. You know, I struggled for a little bit during it. And, um, but on the other end of it, I came out just, you know, feeling kind of refreshed and everything. And it's, it's not the type of thing. And, and Pollen talks about this in his book too, where he, you know, that the, the, the guys who, who were like really pushing, you know, TM and meditation and stuff like that back in the sixties and seventies, what they're, they're trying to push the effect that you can get from doing these, you know, psilocybin or, you know, the psychedelic trips to help mm-hmm. reset yourself. And that, mm-hmm. because, you know, as effective as something like a microdose or an ayahuasca journey or or a psilocybin um, trip would could could um, could help you. It's not the type of thing you want to do every day or even every week or every month. It's the type of right, thing you right. do once in a, once right. in a while to kind of help help reset um, everything. And then you know, the early days of of um, you know. Like with you know, in in the fifties when they were experimenting with stuff like this, when they were really just starting to begin to understand neuroscience. Remember, the the AA Big Book was written before we even knew anything about neuroscience at all, and neuroscience mm-hmm. has really come a long, long way even in the past couple of couple of decades. But 
even in the 50s when they were starting to work with, you know, in these mental hospitals or these psychiatric hospitals um, with, like, electroshock therapy and, and even, the, even the LSD. I mean, people give, people give Bill Wilson a lot of crap about doing the LSD. That's, like, that's the least thing I care about. I think it's actually you – know, that's what people were doing back then who were experimenting, who were trying to get out of these horrible depression and depressionary cycles. Um, mm-hmm. But what the what, what the electroshock and the LSD did back then, it, it it reset your system. And you know, if we know anything now about 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 um, the mind and how we think, and 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 especially around depression, is we've got these these hardwired pathways, neural pathways that are the result of years and years of reinforcing reinforcement of thinking. So every time you think and you have a thought, you're making a connection, and that connection gets stronger and stronger because that's the only way you know how to process what's coming into you. And, and, and what the psychedelics can do is they can break down those walls for a while where you will allow you to help to create different types of pathways. Um, so um, I, I'm really, really encouraged about it. It's starting to get a lot more serious attention, um, being able to use, um, you know, some sort of psychedelics, for therapeutic reasons, and I think we'd do ourselves a big favor culturally if we were to start doing that, uh, doing it mm-hmm. more and more. I know you can go to you can go to Mexico and work with a couple of medical doctors to do um, um, microdosing um, sessions, but it's all stuff that you you kind of have to work toward it. It's not it's not like hey, let's go do psilocybin and get high and have fun and and, and everything. Mm-hmm. It's more like it, it it has to be something that you're working on. And I can't like I I mean I have connections and stuff, but I really shouldn't sh- you know share them or anything like that. But um, Michael Pollan's book or in his website, he does have a list of resources um, that you can well, explore on your own. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'll, and I'll share that with everyone as well too. Yeah. So it's it 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 is it is it is really just a, a fascinating um, fascinating topic, and and I'm glad it's getting taken seriously now because it's 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 valid and. Very, yeah, maybe I'll have cool. some somebody on the radio show, like I had, uh, you know, many was, authors yeah. on when I first started this. Uh, I don't know that I could get him, but I certainly could try because I got the. Um, I'm forgetting his name. This is terrible. Yeah. The the guy who did the oh, about uh, all the drug uh, Carl Hart. Drug- you, had, you had Carl Hart on one time, right? Yeah, I had Carl Hart, and then I oh. also had, um, yeah. you know, the the guy who wrote the book about all the like the drugging, you know, the psycho, and I mean the pharma's, like, just, uh, God, this is terrible, I can't remember his name, but he um, was in a couple of documentaries where, um, talked about where the young teenagers were getting uh, SSRIs, like, too young, and how we went from yeah. having, like, 30 diseases in the uh, DSM-5 or whatever, now it would have mm-hmm. been something sooner, but he talked about, like, there were only, like, Six back in the fifties, you know, and now there's like yeah. five hundred disorders yeah. and um, super interesting guy. And I went to the Drug Policy Alliance conference last summer, and they had these little workshops uh, that were the little rooms were just filled with millennials and then a couple of old, you know, farts like me. And they were talking all about this, and I got super educated. Um, my sons know about it, and they had talked about it, but I really learned a ton about what was available. I met a guy who was really addicted to heroin who went to Mexico and did Ibogaine treatment mm-hmm. with the PhDs that are in the room with you the whole time, and he was completely mm-hmm. cured. And, um, but yeah. he was forced through the courts to go and stay at a 12-step um, 
rehab or sober living after he was completely clean and cured from, you know, his addiction and from cravings and is now going to study to become a therapist himself, uh, which we really need Mm -hmm. like to go on uh but i do think it's a fascinating yeah. topic and uh and i think that when people when i first heard that bill wilson had done lsd everybody was like oh we and especially na people love to do this well you know bill wilson got high on lsd and he actually was trying to right. cure his depression and i think uh right. people who are still fans of bill wilson who and, I, and i'm not one uh but people who are who have left and work in the field, they say, you know, I'm sure he would have like gone out and tried naltrexone or had a Vivitrol shot or <laughs> or done yeah, gone yeah, back yeah. to use psychedelics. But um, so let's uh, so Michael Pollan, I, oh, let's put that out there. I, I'm going to buy the book. I'm definitely going to get uh, his book because I think that mm-hmm. interests me. I mean, I did LSD when I was young as a teenager. I thought it transformed me. It was mostly a summer of it, and then. When it wouldn't mm-hmm. um, do, well, you know, once you do what you do, then and, and I know it, I was changed forever, and actually in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm more about educating and helping people who suffer from depression, who have been on SSRIs for years, and they kind of stop working. That there is something else out there, and interested in changing drug policy in the United States. So it's definitely something I'm yeah. interested in. Um, the other yeah. thing another, that we another, kind another, of another book. Another book I haven't read, I uh, know, but it's out there. I have it in my queue. Is uh, Johan Hari wrote a new book about a similar type of thing. Um, he, he's the guy who wrote one of the books. Oh about, yeah, about yeah. Oh, that he wrote "Chasing the Scream" was incredible. That yeah, was like yeah, exactly. Freaking yeah. like it, that book. Yeah. yeah. So he wrote. I, I was. Uh, I just was trying to bring it up um, to find uh, Michael yeah. Michael Pollan, and actually, for listeners, it's Michael P O L L A N. Um, yeah. And. Everybody probably Food Inc was the first um, exposure most of us had, I think, to him. Yeah. And the Omnivores, um, what the other Omnibus book? Lemma. Yeah. They, did you see that? That was a fictionalized uh, story that was incredible. It was a film that came out previous to Food Inc. That was really, really powerful uh, that I hadn't seen before. But I'm trying to find. Oh, I've, 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 I've seen them all. I'm a, I'm a total food guy. Yeah. So yeah. 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 We have 10 minutes left. What should we tackle um, next? We, t- we did a lot of stuff. I want to talk about Ben Affleck uh, for a sec. Uh, just about... <laughs> I know you do. Yeah. Right, so um, well, I have an RSS and, and feed. Actually, the new Johan book is called uh, Lost Connections. Does that sound right? Oh, yes, that's it. That is it. Yeah, and yeah, um, I, heard, okay. I, I heard like uh, that it was good. I haven't read it. And um, yeah. I'm covering the real causes of depression. I hope he... Yeah. Uh, just on yeah. some of these new things. Do you know if he does? Are you? He's do you have pretty, any he's pretty accessible. Yeah. 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 Okay. Good. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah, yeah. So maybe after I read, I want to read uh, the one uh, by um, mm-hmm. Michael Pollan first, uh, and then yeah, I have to read. Um, yeah. The the Freedom Model. So another plug. I just want to do a quick yes. plug for the Freedom Model. Yeah, new book great. out by Stephen Slate, Mark Sharon, and Michelle Dunbar. And they do have, it's not called a rehab, it's called a retreat. And there's ones for people who, uh, like for executives who really need that special privacy. There's private help personalized. There's You can go through the book with Stephen Slate uh, through Skype. 
uh, I would I would check it out. And so this is you know the thing with uh, in the news I get the RSS feed right and it comes in it'll, anything mm-hmm. that will pick up anything that mentions Alcoholics Anonymous from like some of the news lately has been really crazy like uh, somebody went into a meeting and was like atta- like attacking a bunch of people. Uh, it, there's just a, a lot of action going on. And then this one mm-hmm. popped in about mm, Ben Affleck who I had heard was in rehab years ago. And her hated it. I knew the woman who had sat with him in those circles in this small rehab in Malibu and kind of watched him go through different things uh, in public with his, you know, current ex-wife, right? He's got a couple of kids with. And I was like, please, please, like, do not, like, get your shit together. <laughs> you know, this. I think it was like when he was going through his divorce, which was a couple of years ago. So this thing pulls in about him, and I'm like, no. No, he did not go to an AA rehab. He's not going to AA meetings. And I was like, yeah, yeah, he is. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I'm like, we have to do something, you know. And so uh, there's someone else here that we're we're going to get together. And, I, you know, what needs to happen, I think, or I would like to happen, is that we get together uh, and put a panel on uh, at the Writers Guild, the Producers Guild, or even the Screen Actors Guild for professionals for the writers for producers and say look you know we have this narrative that's been going on since you know the lost weekend it needs to stop like mm-hmm. here's you know have claudia christian speak have uh, myself speak and maybe steven i don't know slate because he can really address that he was um used heroin which is like the, fa- you know, mm-hmm. yeah. the very busy buzzword right now like crack cocaine was you know and you know meth was <laughs> 10 years ago right so you go on tell me yeah. what you know yeah, about your Ben Affleck, what do you want to say? <laughs> well, I, I don't... Like story? Um, yeah, I, I don't really follow Hollywood celebrity stuff at all, so I don't... It seems like... Uh, I've, I've made the joke quite a bit that it, it's like, get, you know, going to rehab and getting sober is like kind of the rite of passage in your career. And, you know, it's like, you know, you, you hire a publicist and you go to rehab and that's how you become an A-lister again. So that's mm. just my observation. But again, I'm not really... Don't really follow. Don't really follow that stuff so much. But I, I do have a funny Benny, Ben Affleck story. And um, yeah, I was, I was, you know, when I, I grew up in the Northeast uh, in New England, and I was, uh, um, well, when I saw Goodwill Hunting, um, there was a story that he's talking about how his his uncle pulled into his uncle got pulled over one night, and he pulled yeah. into the garage, and and when he's in the garage. Um, or he got pulled over one night and everything, and he wakes up the next morning. He goes down to the garage. He goes into the garage, and there's a cop car in the garage with the with the headlights or the the cop lights still spinning on the roof of the car and everything. So he's telling that story in Goodwill Hunting, which I know Ben Affleck wrote or co-wrote. Right. Right. And 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 this is like 1998 when that movie came out, and I I'm watching that movie and I'm hearing that story being told. And it's coming back to me, coming back to me. And, and it's like I knew how that story ended the first time I saw that movie because someone had told that exact same story at an AA meeting in Connecticut in, like, 1990 or 1991. So wow. I think what happens, I just have a feeling, and you know, you being in Hollywood, I'm sure a lot of these stories that get, that get, that get told in, mm-hmm. in, in meetings around L.A. find their way into scripts and find their way into songs and find their way into a lot of these things. And like I said earlier, I think a lot of the stuff is made up or at least exaggerated. And uh, so I don't, I don't know. It's kind of, it, it was kind of funny that I, that I noticed that and made that connection. 
Yeah, so he, and and I have heard, you know, and Kevin joked about this and not joked about it, how, you know, he had gone to this, you know, went to a men's SAG in Hollywood where there were a lot of professional writers, um, maybe 100 guys every Tuesday night, and a lot of them didn't go to any other meeting. And that was their meeting, and, you know, there were people who came, we think, sometimes and just sat in there and just, like, listened for good stories or to do research on it. And, so you know, funny. unfortunately it's become, yeah, they're just... This is this is the narrative. This is the you know uh, the way it all is. Even though other things have moved along, and you know brain neuroscience has moved along, and uh, lots of other things. If I you know have knee problems, I can have micro uh, surgery to fix a meniscus with two tiny holes, or I can brain surgery that way. Actually, they're doing um, lung mm-hmm. uh, lung cancer now has a pill, and there's even surgery where they don't cut open they uh they do these tiny incisions for many types of uh, surgeries now and um it, and yet with addiction it, which they get stronger and stronger with that voice and it's a disease you know it's a fucking disease and i was like so why are you in a church basement and why are you not in a clinic being treated by a doctor and nurse and and even like screw the nurse like why isn't there a doctor there if, if, if it's a disease why aren't you, mm-hmm. you know, regulated by the state and the federal government that, you know, you have to have are respected um, as a patient? What are your, where are your patient rights, and why is your cell phone being taken away from you, and why are you being treated by a guy who has like two years sobriety and a six month certificate from UCLA or from some community mm-hmm. college that you have this certificate that makes you a, a counselor? That I want to change. Like that has to stop. For me, I want to change that whole thing going on in California and in Florida. Florida's got passed some big rules about the whole rehab. California is like disgusting. They're just exposing it here. Mm-hmm. That's the level where they're at. They haven't like, you know, there's no been no change of any law. Now we have three minutes. I'm talking to Steve. You have three minutes. And um, <laughs> we have three minutes. What else? <laughs> Was there, do you have anything that jumped in that you want to talk about? <laughs> Um, well, uh, yeah, just to, just to kind of finish up where you just were, uh, the idea that there are, um, I, I, I think that a, a, that alcoholism, if it, even if it is a disease, is just so overdiagnosed. And mm-hmm. and like I was saying earlier, that I think you know, if if these people were telling their, these true stories, if the stories they were telling in AA were true stories, then there's no way I belong there. I was nowhere near as bad yeah. as these people were bad right. being yeah, me neither. yeah so mm-hmm. but but because it's this the, because it's this self diagnosis thing anyone can join and anyone can show up and anyone can become a member and 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 become part of it and and no one no one really has any right to to question whether you belong there because you're self diagnosed um mm-hmm. that's I, I a very good point that, that's it it ends, it ends up just dry. It it, it just it, it 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 draws a lot of people who are just very lonely and and kind of desperate. And so one thing I've come to terms with a lot about myself has been that I think that I I spent a lot of my life wanting to be the, the way I phrase it is you know I I always wanted to be like cool, but mm-hmm. I never I never I always worked I always put all my effort into being cool. But not not much effort into into doing something great or doing something meaningful. Um, so that's where all my all my energy went to that. And when I came to AA at 20 years old, it's like, oh, I can be cool here. People will listen to me here, you know, and I could kind of, you know, stick around here a while and become kind of a, you know, you know, an expert or whatever, and I could be Mr. AA or whatever. And then 
I'll, I'll be cool and I'll be cool here. So I can be cool somewhere. And oh, I think God. that's one thing that kind of, kind of, you know what I mean? It's, it's really embarrassing well, for me to share this, but it's like, it's just one of those right. things that kind of happened. Wait, you can't. And, you're gonna share? Uh, I don't know if you can share on my show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, no, people well, people know my know my story. Just like kind of how embarrassing that whole thing is, you know. Yeah, no, yeah. I understand that. that but, yeah, yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's embarrassing. So, I remember when I had yeah. like 30 years, and you know, my husband was like all proud of me, and he'd say things, and I'm like, stop, like. Like, I don't care about the time, you know? I just don't care about it anymore. It's just it's like a, this burden, this, like, huge noose around my neck. I didn't want to drink, and yet mm-hmm. I, I didn't, like, I didn't care about it, and it was, like, so much pressure. You have to be like, what? Like, what? I don't have this story that, you know, from, from homeless to Harvard, and now I'm a big lawyer, you know, in a, in a firm no. in downtown, and I go to the Pacific Group, and I speak all around the country as a, you know, uh, one of those circuit speakers. A I was circuit like, speaker. Yeah, you know, I actually, making my film, I met circuit speakers from spinoffs of the uh, Pacific Group that left uh-huh. and drank, and they drank so freaking moderately. Yeah, it was the most it was the most wonderful experience meeting some of these people that I met <laughs> around the country. <laughs> but our time that's, is that's up. So our Excellent. time is up. Well, we, I, we'll have to do a part two. I want to tell the listeners that mm-hmm. I want to thank you for coming and listening to Steve and I today. We're going to do another show next week, Tuesday, at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on why, you know, what happens, why you leave, and what happened when you left. And if you're in the group, I've asked, invited some people to, uh, I'm going to bring on about six people that are in one of the Leaving AA or Deprogramming Groups to tell us why they left and what happened when they left. And each person will get like, you know, five or ten minutes to talk about that experience. So I hope you join us. I'm going to, you know, do more shows again. And, uh, yeah, as I mourn my mom's passing, I feel like, um, you know, need to do a few shows again. And uh, she was a great supporter of my work and loved when I left AA because uh, I was a crazy stepper and she loved her martinis. So you can imagine how that went. <laughs> but um, anyway, Steve, I want to thank you again for joining me. And uh, I appreciate it you coming me. on the show. And thank you, everybody out there. I'm Monica Richardson. This is Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. And uh, see you again uh, next week and out there in Facebook and social media. Good night, everybody. Take care.